Uh, if you would, grab your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. Chapter 2, chapter 3, and uh, we're continuing on here in Sunday school. And uh, We've, over the last, I guess technically four weeks, because we had a little week off there in the middle, but uh, three weeks of teaching, at least on our stuff, was on creation, but Larry... Uh, filling in for me last week and finishing up on the creation. And uh, so today, of course, uh, we're going to get into the test of the garden and what happens in the Garden of Eden uh, right away almost and uh, what it seems to be anyway. It seems to be pretty quick. Uh, but of course, here we are at Genesis chapter 2, and we'll start in verse number 8. Uh, he says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made uh, the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, and the, that is, is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Delam there. Uh, Delam and, onyx, and the onyx stone, uh, and the name of the second river is Gihon, the same as it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel, uh, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. Uh, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It's not good for man that he should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. And of course, he does with Eve. Uh, and so here we are, and we're in the Garden of Eden. And uh, ultimately, this is the setting uh, for what we're going to be talking about today. And so let's have a word of prayer, and we will get into uh, the test for mankind here. Father, I thank you for the day, and I thank you for bringing us in safely. I thank you for your goodness. Your mercies, your compassions, Lord, I thank you that, uh, Father, you're a God of peace. And, Lord, you want uh, each and every person, Lord, to have the peace of God and a, and a peace that passeth all understanding. Father, I do pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at the words of God. You'd help us to uh, elaborate on what you need us to say. Father, give me wisdom as I speak. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand and hear the word of God today. Lord, that you would work in the hearts of the people that come. We pray if someone... Uh, Lord, enters this place without the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray they wouldn't leave that way. They'd call upon him today. And Lord, we pray you would bless the day. Come back soon, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, the first thing you notice about it is uh, that there's a perfect home for mankind. God has set up a garden uh, and God has prepared it for him. Uh, it is a garden that God planted himself. Uh, he says it's located eastward in Eden, uh, and so from what we can tell, of course, uh, there's a river that flows through it, and one of those rivers is uh, the great river Euphrates. We understand the river Euphrates is there, and so that gives you a good place and a, and a placement for where that would be, uh, at least in, in terms of that river, and then you can look, and there's actually uh, multiple dry riverbeds you can see as it comes down. Uh, and including one that goes down toward Ethiopia and so on. Uh, and they all stem from basically the Persian Gulf area. 
uh, and right there in that corner. And that's probably and most likely the place that Eden was. Uh, notice I say was. Uh, it is not there currently. And uh, it has been since removed and destroyed. But uh, uh, the Lord purposely set it up. He set up a perfect place with a perfect environment. Uh, there's no sin that is uh, tainted from mankind. There is no sin that is there. It is, uh, it is a clean place. Uh, it is a place where, uh, where they get to be. Uh, mankind has not fallen. Uh, it is a perfect environment. Uh, nothing uh, at all. And mankind is allowed to enjoy all of the abundance and pleasures that could be there. Uh, Eden, the word Eden itself just means delight or pleasure. Uh, and so mankind is free to have all the delights and pleasures that it has to offer. Uh, they get to eat of every tree that they would like to eat of, uh, except for one tree. And we're going to get to that command here shortly. Uh, but uh, they're, given, they're given one spot, one thing they're not allowed to do, but the rest of it is all theirs. It's theirs for their pleasure. Uh, if they want it, they can have it. If they want to do it, they can do it. Uh, all the things that they want to do, there's complete innocence. Here in the garden, it's a pure place. Um, and so you look at those things, uh, and you notice it's, it's a perfect place for mankind to live. Uh, not only that, but you realize also that, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ today wants to set up a perfect place for mankind to live. All right. You get over to John chapter 14 and the Lord's statement about it is in my father's house are many mansions. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may, you may be also. The Lord wants to prepare a perfect place for mankind for all of eternity if they take it. Uh, they, have, they have to meet the qualifications to get it, but he wants to go ahead and do it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He wants them to fulfill that part, believing in him, so that they can have a mansion, so that they can have a perfect place wherein dwelleth righteousness. A clean place, just like Eden was, uh, where mankind doesn't have sin to deal with. Uh, but here in Eden, there's a choice. There's a test that has to come. And uh, the second thing that you see, not only do you have a perfect place, you have a perfect test that shows up. Uh, this is the perfect test for mankind. This is as simple as it gets right here. Uh, you want to complicate things, we, we got it complicated, right? We, the world tries to make everything complicated, right? There's the gray lines and the gray areas and the what can we bleed over. There's no gray lines right here in Eden. There's nothing anybody can really uh, make into a gray line. This is very clear and very plain uh, the way the Lord sets it up. And so it's the perfect test. It's black and white. It's very simple. It's very easy. He sets it up. So verse number 15. The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Uh, Adam and Eve, ultimately, he's going to make Eve here in just a moment in the passage, uh, but he gives the command to Adam, and he gives him a very simple command. You can have everything but one thing. I'm going to set one thing aside that is just for, just for uh, any, nobody else, but you can't have that. Uh, you, just, you can't have that one. That one thing, you, that's it. That's the only thing off limits. Now, the reason uh, that the Lord does that is that uh, although you have the ability to sin, Adam and Eve obviously have the ability to sin in the garden. 
They have the ability to sin. That doesn't mean that they have to do it. That means there's an ability. Now I'm going to make this statement just so you understand what I mean. Uh, did Jesus Christ ever sin? Well, no, of course not. Uh, if Jesus Christ sins, he is no longer the Savior. He's no longer God. He's no longer a pure sacrifice. He's no longer, right? But the Bible says he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The statement is uh, that Jesus Christ, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his knees. He is praying and he says, not my will, but thine be done. Well, then he had a separate will from the Father. He had a choice to make. Sin is a choice. The choice is whether or not you're going to do what God said. Now, Jesus Christ, the difference is Jesus Christ's choice was not to sin. Just because you have the choice doesn't mean that you have to go to sin. Especially here in the Garden of Eden. There's no sin nature. Naturally, you don't even have the lean toward it. Instead, it's just a simple choice. The simple choice is you can either do or not do. Uh, mankind has a free will. They can choose to obey or to disobey what God says. It's a choice. Our lives are full of choices. It's something like 35,000 choices you make a day. In a day. In a lifetime, you make over 1 billion decisions. From something as simple as what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, uh, all the way out to where you're going to go to college, if you'll trust Christ as your Savior, well, what you're going to do and who you're going to marry, how you're, what job you're going to take, all the big ones, but all the way down to those little ones that don't really matter, what tie color you're going to wear today, who cares, uh, right? As long as it's not completely obnoxious, you're fine, right? Uh, as long as it almost matches, gentlemen, we're fine, right? Uh, but to us, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. In the grand scheme of things, I wore, I wore red, I had to look down. I wore a red tie today. Uh, you know, if I wore a blue tie, would it have really mattered? Wouldn't have made, wouldn't have made any difference, Viscom, don't start with me. Don't ruin my illustration just because. Uh, you know, if I grabbed a black tie, if I grabbed a, who cares? I'm wearing a black suit and a white shirt. Does it really matter what tie that I grabbed? Uh, virtually, no, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't make a difference. Uh, but that's a choice I made. I grabbed the tie that I was going to wear, put the pocket square in, did my thing, and here we are. We chose to come to Sunday school this morning. Uh, we chose to be in church today. Hopefully here in about 45 minutes, I won't scare you off. You'll stick around and we'll still have church. Uh, hopefully some other people will join. Some, everybody from the Sunday school classes that are over next door, they'll come over and, and all those things. Uh, we have choice after choice after choice. Uh, but ultimately, our free will gets to determine what's going to happen. Now, man is responsible. Uh, man's responsibility right here was to enjoy the things that God gave him freely and to obey God's command. That was it. Uh, he, gave, he gave them everything to enjoy and one thing that they couldn't have. And mankind got to make a choice. Now, the choice that he has is uh, two trees, right? Back there in verse number 9, uh, you've got the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, the choices are between those two trees. Now, uh, here's something amazing. Are both trees supernatural? 
They're not like a tree. They're not like, hey, if I walk over and, and I grab an apple off this tree that I'm, that I'm not going to. If I walk over and I grab a pear off a tree today, uh, those are natural trees. Supernatural means it goes beyond what a natural thing does. The tree of life is supernatural, isn't it? You eat of it and you get eternal life. Well, in this case, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is also a supernatural tree, is it not? It now will make it, if they eat it, they die forever. That's supernatural. They do things that are not natural in just the normal day-to-day. There's something particular about these two trees. You know what that tells us? That tells us that all things supernatural are not good for you. You better decide which side's right. Just because it's supernatural doesn't mean that it's from God to bless you. Say, what does that get you into? All sorts of other things. People think, well, something amazing happened, so it must have been God. That's not always the case. The devil has, according to 2 Thessalonians, he has all the signs and lying wonders. He's got power. He can do things to trick mankind. Well, then you better discern which one you're supposed to do. So what tells you what you're supposed to do? The Word of God tells you what you're supposed to do. He commanded it. His command is, hey, don't do that. Don't eat that tree right there. He tells them which one is supernaturally good and which one is not supernaturally good for them. In fact, you lay it out, and if you look at the two, uh, the tree of life gives you everlasting life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil gives spiritual and physical death both. The tree of life gives you a free gift. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is also free, but there's a price to be paid afterwards. You can take it, and you can take it freely, but it will cost you something after you take it. There's a hook. It was in the midst, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was also near the midst of the garden, it, but it probably wasn't quite the center. It was probably right next door, though. He sets them in the middle so that you know that the choice that you're going to make is the choice on which one is going to be the center for you. Eve's problem was she got off center. The tree that's in the midst of the garden, we can't eat of it. Well, the Lord's statement was the tree that's in the midst, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. Verse number nine. He counts the tree of life as being in the midst of the garden. Eve got off center. She looked at the thing she couldn't have and wanted that. It was pleasant to the sight and good for food. That's the tree of life. It looked good and it was good. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was pleasant to the sight, but it wasn't good for food. Well, then you've got to figure out which one you're supposed to have. Because although they're both supernatural, they're both not necessarily good. Today you have an opportunity. Ultimately, choices determine love. Your free will to love and obey God is the choice. Today you get the same choice. Today Jesus Christ extends and you have the opportunity uh, and you can go ahead and you can choose to trust Jesus Christ. You can choose to love the brethren. You can choose to trust and keep his commandments. 
you can do that you can do the same in trusting God and what he does the choice of whether or not you choose to trust Jesus Christ as your savior is a choice of love he love we love him why because he first loved us we choose to love him back we choose we choose to go ahead and accept his love and in return give him ours we choose salvation we choose whether or not we're going to love the brethren a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. The Christian ought to be able to love somebody else. In fact, they ought to be able to care enough about somebody else to give them the gospel. If they're lost, they ought to care about them enough uh, to help them when they're in trouble. They ought to be good to all men. That's the statement he makes. Uh, that's how it's supposed to be. Not only that, but we keep his words. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if you love him, you'll do what he told you to do. You'll do it his way instead of doing it your way. So how do I prove that I love the Lord? By doing it his way. That's the choice. And you realize the choice for you and I is the same as a lost man at times. Uh, it's to choose Jesus Christ over our sin. Over our self-will. As a saved individual, we still have our self-will. The flesh rises up and does what it wants to do, and we have to put it down right in me that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Romans 7. We struggle at doing what? Doing the right thing, don't we? We struggle at doing the right thing, and it's a question of, well, do I love what I'm doing more than I love the Savior? And that's what you get into. The choices that we make are free will. The Lord didn't save you and then eliminate your free will either. The lost man has a free will whether or not he's going to trust Jesus Christ as his Savior or not. The saved man has a free will whether he's going to serve Jesus Christ or not. That's the choice. And we still struggle with the choice. We know better and we, do, we understand it and we have it, but we don't do it. We don't change. Uh, we keep struggling and we keep struggling and we keep struggling. And let's face it, the struggle will be there until we pass away and the Lord takes us home or a trumpet sounds and the Lord takes us home. And until then, you know what we do? The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and the two are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So we are still doing what? We're still, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're still in the spot where I die daily. Because if we don't, you know what we'll do? We'll live in the lust of the flesh and we'll do exactly what the flesh wants us to do. And we have to continuously make the choice that I'm not going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to try to do it God's way. It's the choice. We look at the tree of life and you know what I think of? I think of Calvary. In the tree of life, a great picture to Calvary. The Lord says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, and Jesus Christ hangs on a cross. The just for the unjust. That tree gives us everlasting life. It's a free gift. He was in the midst, in between two sinners. Wasn't he in the midst? And you know what he had? He had one that was willing to trust him and one who wasn't. Amazing. And you know what he was? 
He was pleasant to the sight. He is to anybody who'd want him. Oh, he may be the off-scouring to the world. He may be without the camp to them, but to us? He is a stone most precious, isn't he? Isn't he the chief cornerstone, the stone most precious, the thing that you and I needed? And all of a sudden we find out how great he is. And suddenly he is no longer, you know what he is? He is pleasant to the sight and he's good. He's always good. Jesus Christ doesn't know how to be anything but good. You realize that? Jesus Christ, he can't help it. He's just good. That's who he is. Even when he brings judgment, you know what he is? He's still good. That's amazing. I could sit here all day. We just do this right here. I'm going to move on, though, if that's all right. Um, It's amazing the two contrasts that he makes between Jesus Christ and Adam. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Life. Back and forth it goes. One shows Adam chooses a tree of death and Jesus Christ chooses to die on a tree to give you life. Isn't that amazing? Anyways, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep... I said I was going to move on and then I didn't. See that? That's what happens. Uh, here we are though. And of course he makes Eve. He creates Eve and goes ahead and uh, they're both together. And they're not ashamed at the end of the chapter. And you get to chapter 3. Now, uh, you know what happens here in chapter number 3. Uh, verse number 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. She got the wrong tree. Uh, anyways, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And mankind now has fallen. Uh, there's, a, there's a perfect home that they're living in. There's a perfect test that shows up. And then there's a perfect deception. Uh, Satan is the great deceiver. It's what he does. He is expert at deceiving. Uh, Satan shows up in the form of a serpent. Now, what that means, I don't know for sure. Um, he could have shown up in the form of a serpent. He could have shown up in the form of a man. He is transformed into an angel of light. That's what he is. He tries to show off of, as something that he's not. Uh, so, he's the serpent... But that doesn't necessarily mean that he had to show up like the serpent in that image. Uh, he is the serpent. That's one of his titles. Uh, so does he show up as the serpent or does he show up as a man transformed in an angel of light and somebody who looks so good? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I do know this, that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Uh, he comes through in subtlety. Uh, the devil does not, is not blatant with what he wants. He's always subtle in what he wants. The devil doesn't look to come in and be, be brazen and be exactly who we know him to be. Instead, he always plays the angle. 
Always. The devil never comes in straight on. He always has to come in at an angle and come in and try to deceive and be deceitful. Don't ever expect Satan to be blatant. That's not who he is. He is always subtle. And that's how he beguiles Eve. He beguiles Eve through his subtlety. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter three, chapter 11 and verse number 3, Paul talking about this instance, he says, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity of Christ is likened to Eve choosing the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus the tree of life. Corrupted through subtlety. We deal with people, and we were dealing with people this weekend. We had the Bible handout. We're talking to people, and some folks, uh, they took Bibles. They didn't really want to talk. They wanted to keep going and, and things like that, and that's fine. Give them a Bible. Get them, get them, try to talk to them. If they don't want to talk, that's all right. You put a Bible in their hand. You put a gospel track in their hand. You gave them the gospel. It's in there. Um, you know, we do what we can. Uh, can't make somebody stay. Can't make somebody talk, but that's their choice. They got a free will. They can choose. Uh, one of the great things that uh, we got to do, we got to talk to different people. We got to talk to different things. Uh, I had a couple teenagers, uh, college students come up, you know, and they were going to be uh, all, you know, college students. They, they were going to be what they were going to be. Uh, and two guys come up, and so I go, to, I go to get them a Bible, and I walk over, and they're like, do we have to do anything to get these? And I said, nope, they're free. You can have them. You can have them. We're giving them away today. And he said, oh, oh, okay, okay. Well, we were, we were just, we just bought some liquor, so we figured we'd better balance it out. Now, the guy in the passenger seat is recording me. I see him. He's got his phone, you know, turned at the awkward angle while he's trying to keep it low. I know he's recording me. I have no problem. Because uh, my reply was, uh, this will never tip that scale. And all of a sudden, I saw the phone jerk just a little bit. I don't want because you're going to go to hell without Jesus Christ. And I just started in. I didn't have to slow down. They pulled up to me, and they're recording me. You know what they got? They just got a pile of scripture about how without Jesus Christ, they're going to hell for all of eternity. They're condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of the... I said, you ever go to church before? All of a sudden, the guy in the driver's seat's a little more nervous. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, when I was a kid, uh, I guess, yeah, a little bit. I said, you, well, you need to get back to church. There's a gospel track right in there to tell you you can come to our church. They're a little more shaky leaving than, they, than when they pulled up to be jokesters. Uh, say, what is that? Answer a fool according to his folly. Blessed to be wise in his own conceits. And you go ahead and start answering some of those guys and just start giving them scripture. So what were you doing? Just letting them know he had a choice. He didn't have to be a fool. He didn't have to be ignorant. And they're, they're recording and you know what they got? Go ahead and play that for all your friends. See how that goes. Uh, go ahead. I don't care. Play it. They do it when we're street preaching. They're out there videoing us street preaching and everything else. You know what they get? They get scripture, 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 scripture. Have people come up. They video us all the time. Say, do you care? Nope, I don't care. Go ahead and put it up somewhere. You know what they'll hear? They'll hear about their sin and they'll hear about a Savior and they'll hear that they can have eternal life. That's why we preach that way. We're preaching so they can have eternal life. But you know what they are? They're corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. 
well, you know, I'm going to try to get my work, good works to outweigh my bad works. Where'd they get that idea? They got it from religion. Your good works are never going to outweigh your bad works. Because your bad works, just one of those sends you to a lake of fire for all of eternity. You can do all the good you want to. It doesn't eliminate that. The problem we have is we have a world who thinks they can eliminate their sin by doing some good stuff and make up for it. That's not what the Bible says. Never does it say that. Never. It says that there's only one thing that can take care of a man's sins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanseth us from all sin. There's no other thing that takes it away. And if you go, well, you know, if I'm good enough, I'll get into heaven. That's not what any of the Bible says. You can't give me one verse that says that. And I know where they go. They go to a great white throne with him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And it says that the books are open, and another book was opened, and every man was judged according to their works. They go, see, that means good works outweigh their bad works. That's not what it said. If you come into the court of law and you have stolen or you have killed somebody or you have done whatever you've done and you walk into the court of law and you go, yeah, but I'm a good person. I did all these things. You're convicted on the one thing that you did wrong, no matter how many right things you did. The the other things didn't matter. (laughs) You still killed somebody. You still stole from them. You still did this. You still did that. You still did something wrong. You still have to pay for that one crime. And you're judged according to your works. You did it, that's what you get judged for. I didn't say that your good works outweigh your bad works. That's not what it said. It said you've got bad works, that's how he can judge you and put you in a lake of fire for all of eternity. Because you didn't do it right. And that you didn't trust in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to wash you of all your sins. Well, now you're in trouble. And people get beguiled. They get tricked to thinking that they could be good enough to get into a sinless heaven. Why would you ever think you're good enough to get into a place that is sinless and pure? Because you did some good things. (laughs) It's a whole lot simpler to realize, I need to be washed, Jesus paid for all of it, I can just trust him. That's a whole lot simpler. And it's the truth. And Satan goes ahead, and you know what he does to the Christian? He tries to get advantage of us. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan is subtle with all of his devices, but he has devices. He has ways of doing what he does. He had ways to get you to think and justify the actions that you do. He has ways to get you to think and justify how you behave yourself and go against what God says. He does things to make it so that you feel justified in your lies and in your stealing and in your cheating and in your doing and all your deeds that you do. He'll go ahead and give you a scripture verse for it so you can feel better about yourself today. He'll get you to justify all the things. Well, you know, and the Lord is looking at you going, shall we continue in sin that grace might more abound? God forbid. No, you shouldn't keep walking that way. Why? Because the Lord saved you. He's gracious and he's merciful. And just because he's gracious and merciful doesn't mean you get to presume upon the goodness and the mercy of a holy God. Because his mercies and his goodness will run out eventually. And you'll get turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And I won't get into that right now, but that's the way it goes. You want some great tactics of of Satan? Look at the first appearance where he shows up right here in Genesis chapter 3. Look what he tries to get Eve to do. Number one, he wants you to question... God's word, verse number one. Yea, hath God said. Question. (laughs) 
Whoop, that's what it is. Did God say that or didn't He? Isn't it amazing? Well, is that in the Bible? Well, you know, why, why do all these other versions show up? They show up to make you try and figure out and question what God said. The idea that another Bible version is the same as, as a King James Bible, or even if they're the same next to each other, I don't care which ones you grab. You better figure out which one is right because they're not the same. And the question the devil wants is he wants to get into the question of what did God say? Because if you have a certainty of what God said, you now know what you should and should not do. If God said it, that takes care of it. I'm perfectly fine. If somebody grabs an NIV, which might be the worst translation that there is, uh, the, wor- the, the secular people say that, uh, it's just a poor translation. But anyways, uh, you get into that idea, and if someone goes, my NIV is perfect and I believe it and it's the Word of God, I'm not taking it from them. Keep it. But believe it just like I believe mine. I have no problems with you. I have problems with the guy who grabs his NIV and doesn't like what it says, so he grabs his ESV, doesn't like what it says, grabs a new King James, doesn't like what it says, grabs a King James Bible, doesn't like what it says, goes over here, and then he goes ahead and pieces it all together and goes, that's what I wanted to say, so that's it. That's the problem. Well, yeah, but all these give me light on the Scripture. No, they don't. It amazes me how many people... I'm going to get a little upset here, so I'm going to try. I got 15 minutes, so I'm holding on to hope that I can finish this lesson. Um, I get frustrated. I have people, I, you know, I end up going to meetings, and I end up hearing preachers and these guys, and some of these guys, even guys that are semi in our circle, and some, some guys who are not quite in our circle and are just outside, and they love to go and do these words right here. Uh, that word right there in the Greek is... And they do it as if they're going to give me something that is not apparent in a King James Bible. I have yet to have somebody give me something in the Greek that I don't see in a King James Bible. I, literally, I had, I had a guy and he was preaching and he was going through and he did all these great things and he's talking about the Greek and he's bringing it around to this great truth and he loops it around and if he would have just stayed right there, he wasted 10 minutes of his message where he could have actually said something. To bring it back to exactly what the Bible just said. I'm not kidding. That, is, that isn't even an exaggeration. I sat there and I thought, this guy is going to come right back. I'm listening to him and I'm going, he's trailing right back and he is going to say exactly what it says right here in the Bible. Why? So he could prove to everybody how smart he was. All you needed was the English. You didn't, if you were smart, you'd have just stayed with the English. You didn't have to do all that. But instead, they try to feel superior and tell you. And you know why they do it? They do it so that they can look superior to you. Oh, he's amazing because he knows Greek. We go ahead. We go to my office. I'll toss you three different Greek texts and ask you which one's right. I got them in my office. We'll grab some lexicons. You can go ahead and, and check them out. I have a Hebrew Old Testament in my office. You say, how much do you look at those? I don't. So why are they in there? For people who go, the Greek is superior. And then I go ahead and hand them one. And say, tell me what that says. And they can't do it. Anyways, I'm all fired up. 
I preached, I preached for four days straight while I was gone. I came back here, had one day off, and went to two Bible handouts, and now here I am this morning. So you guys are just in trouble. I'm sorry. Um, you're, you're just, I'm just building right here. I'm just still, I'm still cruising. Um, first thing he does is he wants you to question what God says, and then the second thing he does, notice in verse number 2, he wants us to subtract from God's Word. He wants you to call it to remembrance and then miss it. And she misses it. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Say what's missing? Freely. She missed that every other tree was free. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is going to cost her in the end. Oh, you may be able to pull it off of there and not pay a price. But as soon as you take the bite, the price is about to be paid. The bill's gone out. It's in the mail waiting and it will be paid she leaves it out then he wants us to add to it in verse 3 but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God hath said ye shall not eat of it neither shall ye touch it lest ye die our Lord didn't say you couldn't touch it uh, what was Adam's job to dress it and to keep it right the garden was his to dress and to keep if you are supposed to dress and keep something, how do you not touch it? Adam's allowed to touch the tree. He's got to keep it. He's got to make sure it's okay. He's perfectly allowed to touch it. But he can't eat it. He can't eat it. Not only that, not only does she add to it, she changes it. She chooses a different word. By the way, the smallest unit of preservation in the scriptures is the words. It's the words. The words of the Lord are pure words. The words. God's particular about his words. Not his themes, not his ideas, not his thoughts, not his, not his statements. <laughs> He, not the principles, not the doctrines. He's concerned about the words. Because guess what? If you get the words right, all the rest of those are fine. It's the words he's worried about. Every word of God is pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. If it's not about the words, then what does it matter? Well, then it doesn't at that point. But it's about the words. Notice she gets herself in trouble on two, two points right here. She misses which tree is in the midst of the garden. And she also says, lest ye die. Now, lest yields the idea that there's a chance you might not. It's dangerous and I could die. That's not what the Lord said. In fact, Satan gets it closer than Eve does. Satan's statement is, thou shalt not, he adds that word, surely die. Well, that's closer to quoting God than Eve was. Eve's statement was, we can't eat it, we can't touch it, lest we die. The devil says, thou shalt not surely die. Lord says, you shall surely die. Thou shalt surely die. The day you eat, you're dead. And here's Eve. 
He also wants, us, wants to tempt us with the lust of our flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what he gives her, isn't it? Well, the Lord knows that in the, verse number 5, the day either of your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So what was, what was he doing? He was trying to get her to see the tree in the light that he wanted her to see it. He wanted to move her perspective to his perspective. He wanted to take her and move her to the spot where she looked at that tree and saw that it was everything she could ever want. Isn't that what the devil does? He tries to get you to think that sin is pleasurable, that it's not dangerous, and that you're going to be perfectly fine if you have it. And the Lord goes, no, it's going to kill you. And the devil says, oh, you're not going to die. You'll just be like everybody else. You'll just be as the gods, knowing good and evil. You'll just be like us. Don't you want to be like us? Say, so what, what do we get into? You get the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. What your flesh desires, what your eyes look at, and your pride rises up and goes, well, I do want that. I could be like a god. That's exactly what he did to Eve. And for the first time ever, in verse number 6, Eve sees something she's never seen before. She sees the tree as good for food. Never thought of it that way before. But she did right there. She finally sees it as an option. It's amazing that sin is not really difficult to avoid when you never feel that it's accessible. But as soon as it's accessible, well, maybe that would be good. You know, it's one thing, we're all adults in here, right? It's one thing when, uh, when the cigarettes and the booze and the pornography and everything, you had to go somewhere in particular to go get that. I got to go somewhere and somebody could see me. And now they'd know exactly why I was going in there. And now today, you know what you get? Go to any grocery store, you can get any of that. You pick up your phone, you can get to whatever you want to get to. You can go ahead and do, you can do all sorts of things. And you do it because it's accessible. You'd have never gone to those places to do those things. But as soon as access is there, it's a whole lot easier to do it, isn't it? It's a whole lot easier. Why? Because it's accessible. The ease of access makes it so you don't feel ashamed of what you do. When the truth is, you ought to be just as ashamed as if everybody else in the world saw you because everything you do are naked, is naked and open onto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Say, well, boy, I hope, I hope so-and-so never finds out about that. The Lord already found out about it. And by the way, everybody else is going to find out about it unless you go ahead and confess it and forsake it, and then he can cover it. You don't want to confess it and forsake it, you know what you'll have? You'll have him uncover it, everybody else in the world will know it. Feel free. Deal with it whatever way you like. You've got a choice. But it makes a whole lot more sense to confess it and forsake it. 
Every sin stems from one of three areas right here. You ready? Refusal to hear what God said. I don't want to hear that. Okay. Refusal to believe what God said. Well, I hear you, but I don't believe that. Okay, that's fine. And refusal to act on what God said. How many people do you run into? I'm just going to use salvation as a simple choice right here, right? Salvation's an easy illustration of this. Uh, they go, well, I don't want to hear that. We hear that all the time on the street corner. Going out, you hear that knocking on doors, you hear that handing out a gospel. Well, I don't want that stuff, you know. And then you hear, well, that's just your opinion. Well, that's what you believe, but okay. Well, I believe all that, but I just have never done anything about it. You haven't acted. Isn't that the case? That's the three categories of everybody's choices right there. Well, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to believe it. I'm not going to do anything about it. Well, I can do that later. Okay. That's the way man is. And they get themselves in trouble. Last thing I'll say is uh, that you, you can't forget this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, right? There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will also with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Uh, God always will give you a way out. Always. That's a promise. You won't always wait, or you won't always like the way out. But he'll give you one. Our problem is, you know what we do? That says singular, a way to escape. Just one, a, singular. We see that way and we go, yeah, but I want to keep going just a little farther. He'll give me another one. And you carry on straight into your sin. Why? Because you didn't take the way. You recognized it. You saw it. He had it for you. It's set up right there. And you go, yeah, but they'll think I'm weird if I dip out now. So I'm going to have to keep going down this road. No, you don't have to keep going down that road. You chose to go down that road. Don't wait until the last second to try to escape. That's what people do all the time. They go, well, I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. Well, now I want to get out of this. I can't handle this part. And the Lord says, I gave you 20 exits. He's still gracious. I get it. He's gracious and he's merciful and he gives us all the exits, but we try to wait till the last second and dump out and the Lord goes, I don't have an exit there. You're too far down. You're carrying on and you refuse to take the exits. By the way, the earlier you flee, the better it'll be for you. The earlier you go, you recognize it and go, I'm going the wrong direction and turn around and run back away from it the better it's going to be every time. Eve, serpent shows up. You know what she could have gone? That guy doesn't look good. I'm leaving. <laughs> but she stayed and carried on the conversation. Just chatted him up a little bit. I'm just trying to be nice. Quit being nice. <laughs> what does that mean? That means quit, quit offering yourself as a sacrifice to go into sin just to act like you're a nice guy. Go, I'm sorry, respectfully, do it nicely. Get out of there. (laughs) 
Didn't Joseph flee? He fled so fast, she pulled his garment off and he just kept running. To get out of what? To get out of sin. You say, well, he paid for that unjustly, and the Lord put him and put him in great power. It's your choice. It's your choice whether you believe God's going to do what he's going to do and do it the right way and make you come out on top. It's your choice. But don't get pulled into a perfect deception just because the devil's flashing something pretty in front of you. Father, I thank you for the morning. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and your mercies. And Father, we do pray that you would bless the day, be with the services, help everything to be done. Father, to your praise, honor, and glory, you are so worthy of everything. And Father, we pray that you would work in hearts today. We thank you for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.